Welcome to Breaking the Line, the ECNL podcast, a bi-weekly look at all things related to the growing elite clubs nationally, the ECNL. For more information on the ECNL, visit us at www.theecnl.com. Now, here's your host for Breaking the Line, the ECNL podcast, former U.S. soccer press officer and longtime soccer broadcaster, Dean Linky. I am Dean Linky, and it never hurts when your guest knows how to properly intro a show. This is Ben Pierman, head coach of Memphis 901 FC USL Championship team. As a young coach climbing up the coaching ladder, I'm proud to say I've experienced so many levels of the game as both a player and a coach. Growing up, I played youth soccer for Vardar Soccer Club and high school for Oakland Christian School and was lucky enough to be part of three Big Ten tournament titles at Michigan State University. I won two as a player under the legendary Joe Baum and one as an assistant coach under Damon Renzi. Those two people and several others gave me the desire to pursue a career in coaching. After eight years on the coaching staff at Michigan State and some success leading Detroit City of the NPSL, I decided to take a chance on myself and pursue the pro game. I was lucky enough to join Memphis 901 FC in USL as an assistant coach and now enter my second year as the team's head coach. And as a coach, I know that what you learn at the youth level as a player makes a big difference in taking that next step to college and even pro. I also know that I still have a lot to learn. So join me and the ECNL podcast host, Dean Link as I share my journey with you on this week's edition of Breaking the Line. Could not have said it better myself. So after this message from the ECNL, we visit with Ben Pierman, the head coach of Memphis 901 FC from USL Championship. As the game continues to evolve in the United States, the ECNL remains the standard of excellence in youth soccer. The Elite Clubs National League has grown to include over 200 clubs and nearly 50,000 players across the country with a robust competition platform for teams, educational resources for coaches and clubs, and unparalleled identification and development opportunities for players. Alongside its member clubs, collaborating to create a better future, the ECNL continues to raise the game every day. The ECNL is more than a league. This is Breaking the Line, the ECNL podcast, and I am pleased to be joined by Ben Pierman, the head coach of Memphis 901 FC of USL Championship, now in his second year as the head coach after one year as an assistant. As you know, he was a great player at Michigan State where he won a couple titles. He was an assistant coach at Michigan State where he also won a title, and Ben Pierman joins me now. Ben, welcome to Breaking the Line, the ECNL podcast. Thank you for having me. How are you? I'm doing great, Ben, and as I look at you, you look like you could still be playing college soccer. You've got that youthful look that hopefully will never go away, but I've always liked your story. I liked calling your games as a player. I enjoyed when you went to the coaching staff at Michigan State, and then I also kind of knew, as you confided in me as you were making this jump to the pros, that that was a bit risky, but you've made the most of it. So really, I want to hear your journey. So let's start with where you grew up. Talk a little bit about your family and your early days as a youth and high school player. Yeah, I was uh, I was born in the city of Detroit on the north side. I grew up in a northern suburb um, in the Auburn Hills, Pontiac area, playing for a, a youth soccer team called Vardar. Was great experience for me, 11, 12 years old, all the way up through my senior year of high school. You know, I'd be remiss not to talk about my father, Wayne, Wayne Pierman. He he was one of the trendsetters, especially in the state of Michigan. He, he more or less started youth soccer, was the first state director of coaching. He kind of started what was now considered the ODP program. So I kind of was thrown straight into the playing soccer as a kid, watching my brother and sister 
My dad was a coach, you know, as I mentioned, he used to coach the Fort Lauderdale strikers. So I've kind of had the the playing and the coaching built into me, whether I liked it or not growing up. And then, you know, after a somewhat okay youth career, went off to Michigan State University, played played four years there and five, five years of my time there. And then straight into the coaching realm at Western Michigan. And then for, as you mentioned, eight years at Michigan State working for coach Damon Renzing. And he also was very gracious with, with his time and energy, allowing me to coach um, Detroit City FC, who was at the time an NPSL club and is now obviously in the USL championship. And then, as you mentioned, taking a little bit of the courageous step to get out of the college game. I knew if I were going to be coaching college soccer, I wanted to be at Michigan State where I played with my family. I bleed green, but also knowing that maybe potentially getting out of the college game with, with, my, with my time in Detroit City and those experiences, I took the challenge and became an assistant coach at Memphis 901 FC was there for two years. And then the last three matches of my second year became the interim coach after the crazy COVID year and then got the job full-time, as you mentioned. Last year, we had a great year, made the playoffs. And then we're now in our fourth season as a club and second year as is, is, is a head coach. So still pursuing a lot of things and pushing on and, and getting better and better and hopefully winning as many matches as possible. I want to go back to the decision to attend Michigan State. You're getting it done at Vardar. You're getting it done at your high school program as well. What do you remember about the recruiting process? And for you, was it green and white all day? You knew you were going there. Or were there some other schools in the mix? I didn't really know much about Michigan State at all um, until July 1st of my senior year when, when Joe Baum, the, the legendary head coach called me, said he liked me as a player. And the next week I visited and within three days, I was looking at my parents saying, that's the place for me. I love it. Love the coaches, um, made an official visit a few, few months later. We looked at some other schools, you know, it, it pains me to say it, but I did take an official visit to University of Michigan. As most youth players in the state of Michigan do, they look at the, all, the, all the top schools in the state. Pretty clear from, from then on after meeting with Coach Damon and Joe that I wanted to be a Spartan and, you know, my parents were were excited for me just an hour, hour and a half down the road. And we, we pushed on from there. As you know, I was lucky enough to come into the Big Ten Network at their launch. I actually did the first ever game, West Virginia at Ohio State, and then was able to see you in 2007 and see the amazing double-double in 2008. I want to get to that in a moment. But, Ben, one thing I remember about you is there were a lot of good players on that team, but you were an instrumental part of that team. Talk about the role that you felt you played on the Michigan State soccer team under Joe Baum. Yeah, I think one thing, if you look at it holistically, the, the culture of, of soccer at Michigan State is, is based upon doing more as a team. Synergy, um, some are greater than its parts. We, we worked hard. We had a lot of, almost everybody was from the state of Michigan, you know, and I was one of those guys that knew my role. I, was, I would say I was an above average Big Ten player. We had a lot of MLS draft picks in that team and a high lot of, a lot of high-end talented footballers. And, and one of the things that we enjoyed was, was being on the ball, but we also enjoyed really confronting our opponent. And probably my best attribute as a player was, was more of the shenanigans and the leadership and the speaking to officials to make sure we were getting some calls and annoying the other team. Um, what I did with the ball and with my legs wasn't, wasn't as impressive as what I could do, uh, you know, maybe a little bit more with, with some other things. But we had a lot of really good players on that team. I was just fortunate enough to, to, to crack that starting 11. Michigan State now plays at DeMartin Stadium. I feel like you played with one of the DeMartins. Do I have that right? 
Yeah, so Doug DeMartin, his uncle was the one that the stadium's named after. He he was my roommate and, and one of my best friends in college, stood up in my wedding. We played our last senior year of uh, Vardar club soccer together. He was top player. He, he was Big Ten player of the year, All-American, went to Sporting Kansas City and MLS. He was a very good player. We got to play our senior year in that stadium, and that was such a generous gift, an amazing opportunity. Old College Field, the previous stadium, was beautiful, but I think DeMartin, DeMartin Stadium's got to be one of the best venues in all of college soccer. Incredible pitch, great scenery. They've got the lights in there. They keep making upgrades, so it's, it's tremendous, and I was fortunate enough to get one year on, on that pitch. You were fortunate because you were able to get an extra year of college soccer after, I believe, suffering an injury one of those years. And I mean, you picked the perfect year to stay because the dynamic around Joe Baum announcing his retirement, announcing his replacement in Damon Rensing, announcing that he's going to stay on staff as well. You were in the middle of all of that. You won the regular season. Then you go to Madison, Wisconsin, and you win the double. I mean, you give Joe Baum the most amazing send-off you could ever give a coach. As a coach, what do you remember about the group of players saying, let's send Joe off in the right way? Yeah, you know, actually, that year, we 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 started off very poor. I think we were one and four or something. We did not have a good start to the season. We, we met as players and said, you know, this is inappropriate, the the way we're sending off the boss. And, and he's done so much for this this program and our community that we needed to give a better effort and better execution. We we got a couple things together in the locker room. We had a great year, as you mentioned. You know, I think our goalkeeper at the time, Avery Steinlegge, um, and that back line of guys like Josh Rogers and Dave Hertel, who went to Real Salt Lake and some high, high-end footballers in that team. We we I think we set the record at the time for consecutive shutout minutes and then you know as we mentioned you had guy up top like Doug DeMartin scoring 16 17 18 goals it was an incredible year when you reflect back on it I now it's probably even you know 15 years ago you know when you look back on it it was just it was fun it was exciting it's what college soccer should be about the competition on the field bleeding and suffering with your teammates and and your best friends, but also some good camaraderie and challenges playing against some really high-end opponents, you know, and to be able to get Joe's first ever regular season Big Ten title was was incredible. We did it on our home field. I remember it so vividly against Northwestern. Joe yanked me with like three minutes left for for doing something I probably shouldn't, but it was incredible. The the fans, I just remember that day so vividly. It was one of the best moments um, really of my my soccer career you know it was incredible I was so proud of, of of Joe and so so happy for him he deserved it as a university and some things and as a collective team we we really went for it and I was proud of that group but you didn't stop there you then went to the Big Ten tournament in Madison and got the double that's so hard to do what do you remember about winning the double and remind us who you beat to win the double if you can in fact remember yeah, we got a bye in the first round for winning the regular season outright. And then we played a really tough Northwestern team. I'm sure Coach Lenahan won't be happy of me. You know, I I went down. I got a penalty in that match. We won a tight 1-1-0. And then in the final, we, we beat Indiana. And they were loaded. Very, very good team. You know, Will Bruin up top. They, Alston was just killing me in that wing channel, just taking me to the cleaners all game. They They were very good. But I think what was impressive for us was that Maybe we surprised some teams in the regular season in the tournament. 
we had a target on our back. Everybody was gunning for us. It was at, it was in Madison. It was so cold and mun- muddy, um, but we fought. We scored a really nice goal. Doug DeMartin scored a great goal with, with a nice layoff from Jeff Ricondo. We played a really good game. Didn't concede many chances and the ones we did, you know, Avery Steinleg at the back made some great saves. So we were proud again to win one trophy was incredible, but to do two in the span of probably 10 or 12 days or whatever it was, was, was incredible for us and the players and the team and the program. And most importantly for coach Joe, he was, we were really excited for him. Yeah. So Joe bomb and maybe a, a small way, maybe in a big way, I'm not sure. But one of the reasons I wanted to talk about your journey is as I think about Joe Baum, a Hall of Famer, I do fear that not enough people know how great he was. And if if I know Joe the way I think I know Joe, he doesn't care. I mean, he never yeah. sought the limelight. And I don't really think Damon does. And I don't really think you do. But I think you deserve the limelight. But let's just go back to Joe Baum. What did he teach you about being a coach and a good coach at that? Well, the number one thing that that – Joe taught everybody and it didn't matter. He, and he, he emphasized this. It doesn't matter if you're a, a football player, if you're a coach, if you're a lawyer, you're a father, it doesn't matter what you're doing in your life. The number one thing that he, he made sure we always had was respect, respect for others, respect for each other, respect for ourselves. You know, and I, I've really tried to carry that over into my life. Every, everything I do the one area I can I can be honest I struggle with is, is respect for referees. I haven't learned that from 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 Joe yet. Um, I'm getting there in my young career, but that really filtered into everything we did as a program. You know, every drill we did, we wanted to respect the integrity of it. We worked our tails off. You know, every opponent checking in your bags at the airport. It didn't matter what we were doing, and I think that carries over in life as we've seen over these last few years. I think everybody in the world could do with a little bit more respect for each other. And even if you disagree with them, which we all do in, in the locker room and all that, you know, just respect each other, keep your head down and work hard. And, and you mentioned it. That's probably why guy like Joe Baum and coach Damon, they're not necessarily concerned about the, the spotlight and the media and the press and all that. You know, if you just kind of do your job and keep your head down. And as I mentioned, have a, have a really good concept of respect. I think everything else will fall into place. You know, Coach Damon's been to Final Fours. He's been to, I mean, I think we were in five Elite Eights while I was there. He's, he's pushed so many players to the professional ranks. And, and then even more importantly, in college athletics, what he does in stemming from Coach Joe, and, and I even try to do this in the professional ranks, is help these young men mature and, and guide them in their path throughout life. You know, it is a balance between work and life for us and in college athletics, the, the student-athlete experience. I've never met greater people who love their players and love their program more than Joe and, and Damon. And I tried to live that, you know, my wife and I got married in that stadium. She was a Michigan state Spartan player for the women's team. So you mentioned it. They, they, they bleed green. I bleed green. And that passed down to every single player and staff member and coach and anybody who ever came across coach Joe and coach Damon, that was a lifestyle. It wasn't just words. It wasn't just talk. It was really, really lived and everybody felt it. So, you know, those are the things that I've taken away. Tactics change, things change all the time, but the way you treat people, the way you get in and check into work every single day, you work your tail off, everything else will take care of itself. They definitely bleed green and white. You kind of touched on it already, but I'm going to ask you to embellish. I feel like Joe and Damon and that Michigan State culture also talks about family and keeping it within the family. And certainly you felt like it was family. Yes, you went to Western Michigan for just a cup of coffee, but the minute you had a chance to get back to Michigan State, you jumped on it. Can you talk about that family environment? And it's not just the soccer 
team. It's the athletic department. Really, it's an entire campus in general. You know, the concept of synergy, the concept of loving your brother and sister and those around you, treating people well and treating people with respect. It's, it's, it's as much as there's technology and things in the world, people are the ones that execute the tasks. And I think at Michigan State in general, the, that has really risen to the, to the top of the important list. And, you know, I'm pushing off of that, Joe and Damon, they've just treated every single player that's come through their program like their own child. And it's not easy, especially in this modern day. You know, I didn't experience it as much like things with this transfer portal and things going on. There's instant gratification and Joe and Damon, especially in the, the, the modern generation is just done such a good job of balancing the immediate need for, for kids to be happy and their parents to feel happy. And a lot of kids are paying for college and they want an immediate return. And he balances that with, with, with the players really enjoying a great student athlete, Michigan state experience, but pushing hard and and competing and nothing comes easy. And it's not just all kumbaya. And, you know, I think that concept of family, that genuine love for each other, it makes the competition even more combative and they fight and, and get after it in training and makes the desire come on those Saturday nights or Tuesday nights, whenever the match is to really just enjoy competing against the Notre Dames and the Indianas and, you know, all the other terrible schools that are out there, you know, so, but it, it, it comes from that, that concept of family. And I know every program preaches it. We try to preach it here in, in the professional rank. Tim Howard said, that was the number one core at Everton when he was there for so many years in the Premier League. But when you live it, and I mean genuinely live it, it, it makes the tough times a little bit easier and it makes the easier times really, really enjoyable. As we go to break, one of the things about being involved with a great family is the leaders of the family, the patriarchs and matriarchs know when it's time to let their youngsters go. And we're going to talk about your decision to go pro, the kind of support you got from Damon Rensing. You mentioned Tim Howard, who you essentially work for now. Ben Pierman, the head coach of Memphis 901 FC USL Championship. Great career at Michigan State as a player and coach and now doing great things at the USL Championship level. This is the ECNL Podcast, Breaking the Line with Ben Pierman when we return. Nike is a proud sponsor of ECNL Girls. Nothing can stop what we can do together to bring positive change to our communities. You can't stop sport because hashtag you can't stop our voices. Follow Nike on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. The ECNL is pleased to announce Quick Goal as the official goal provider and partner for ECNL Girls and ECNL Boys, a new partnership created to support the growth and development of the country's top players, clubs, and coaches. At all national events, including national playoffs and national finals, the Quick Goal Coaches Corner will provide hospitality and social space for ECNL girls, ECNL boys, and collegiate coaches. Quick Goal will also be the presenting sponsor of the national championship winning ECNL Girls and ECNL Boys Coaches of the Year and the ECNL Girls and ECNL Boys Goals of the Year. Quick Goal looks forward to helping the ECNL continue to elevate the standards of youth soccer and provide more opportunities to players on and off the field in the coming years. From athletes just starting to turn heads to some of the best athletes to ever play their games, Gatorade shows that they are the proven fuel of the best. For the athletes who give everything, nothing beats Gatorade. The studied, tested, and proven fuel of the ECNL. 
Welcome back to Breaking the Line, the ECNL podcast. Today, the spotlight is on Ben Pierman, a fine young head coach for Memphis 901 FC of USL Championship, a team that does not have a huge budget, yet still made the playoffs last year, which is incredible in Ben Pierman's first official year as the head coach. We want to get to that, but Ben, as you heard me say, when we went to break in 2018, you were part of a Michigan State team that did, in fact, make it to the Final Four, along with two other Big Ten teams in Indiana and Maryland, and another team that might as well be Big Ten in Akron. That was amazing. I got to be out there as well, representing the Big Ten Network. But for you, what do you remember about that year, and what was it about that year that led you to say, you know what, now I'm ready to go out on my own? Well, you know, the first part was that 2018 season was an incredible year. We had, we, we were loaded with, with talent. There's coming off the benches for Rod Mutato, who's first round draft pick and is getting a first team contract and a high end MLS player. We were good. We, we knew we were good. We had come off maybe four seasons in the last five years or something, or the last six years where we had made the elite eight, we couldn't quite get across the line into the final four. For the first time, we really addressed it as a staff and as players. We said, if we want to do this, these are the things, these are extra sacrifices. These are the things that we have to do to push ourselves across that line. We went through a little lull there at the end of the regular season. We lost first round of the big 10 tournament, helped us breathe a little bit. We didn't get a buy in the first round. So we won our first match and then we, it was just a business trip from there. We went to Louisville, we went to Georgetown and we weren't, we weren't smash and grab. We, we outplayed our opponents, you know, in the Louisville match significantly outplayed our opponent. Georgetown were very, very good with their own high, high level of MLS players. And as we've seen what they continue to do today. And then, and then we, we got a home game in the elite eight, which was massive for us. We had only experienced that once out of the previous four times. And we knew we had a tough James Madison team, we actually went down a goal in a crazy, crazy weather, and we just kept pushing. And I remember the aggression from the boys, uh, you know, Connor Corrigan, Patrick Nielsen, Ryan Sarakowski to combine for the first goal, and then Dewan Jones, who's absolutely crushing it in MLS right now. He and Ryan Sarakowski combined for the game winner, and we were good. We were good. We, we had a really good team, and I think what the problem was is that we – we achieved that goal that we spoke about all season long. And then we, we had a brutal injury to Mikey Watungu, who went to Real Salt Lake. We weren't quite mentally prepared um, for that final four. And we came across an Akron team that had better experience, high-end players. Um, and as you mentioned, the other two teams, Indiana and Maryland, we had already played a couple times each that year. So it was a massive milestone for us as a program and for Coach Damon and those players. They'll be back there soon soon enough and going further than the semifinal. You know, and I kind of knew going into that season that it was probably going to be one of my last, or, or if not my last, Detroit City was making a transition from NPSL to a higher level in the NISA. So I knew maybe that was going to be a potential. And I had spoken to a couple of USL championship clubs as well about joining their staffs. And, you know, I knew if I were going to be in the college game, it was going to be at Michigan State. And if if I wanted to take the next journey, it was going to be in the professional realm. And, you know, I didn't want to just be a part of something to be a pro coach. I wanted to I wanted to develop. I wanted to suffer. I wanted to get better. And my former boss, Tim McQueen, took a chance on me. You know, I wouldn't be where I am today without him. And I'm just so appreciative that he took a chance on on somebody he had never met and really didn't know. And, you know, we are an expansion club and, and we've done a lot of really good things at this club and we want to keep pushing forward. 
Here with Ben Pierman, the head coach now for Memphis 901 FC USL Championship. So you make this decision, you walk in, you talk to Damon Rensing. I'm sure you've been talking to him the whole time, but what was Damon Rensing's message to you as you said, you know, hey, it's time for me to take that next step. And by the way, for me, I didn't want you to leave because I loved having you at Michigan State, but I, I love what you've done so far. But how hard was that having those discussions with Damon Rensing? It was tough. I think the first time I told him, I, he, he uh, you know, he was busy playing Candy Crush, so he might not have heard me. But, uh, <laughs> you know, when when it when it kind of look, Damon, there's not a better human being in the world. Opposing coaches love him. Recruits love him. Even referees love him. He's just he's a tremendous human being. And it's there's no surprise. He's cut from the cloth of Joe Bomb and Tom Saxton. Damon was nothing but supportive. You know, I think he would obviously like me to have stayed and we, we worked very well together and he was such a great mentor for me. Um, but he also just like maybe some players pushing on, he wanted to help support me and he was nothing but supportive. Anything that he could do, he did, you know, and obviously he had to turn his attention towards actually replacing both assistant coaches at that time, because we, we had all um, taken off and actually the, the, the goalkeeper coach as well. So he had to reset his whole staff and roster and everything, but he was super supportive as he always is with his players and his staff. And, you know, the conversations were, were relatively easy and straightforward. He always challenges me even to the day um, where he wants to make sure that, you know, I'm getting better and stronger and developing and thinking about the game in, in different viewpoints, not just our sport, um, but also life in general. So, you know, again, just very appreciative of those people that have helped me get to this opportunity. Wouldn't be here without a lot of those people, not just not just my great parents and my family. There's a lot of other people that have helped out in this life. It was very clear based on your early career that you loved college soccer, but I had the great luxury of talking to you a lot that you also loved your time at Detroit, as you mentioned, and you and I talked and you're like, all right, I'm going to throw my name in the hat. I'm going to throw it everywhere. And I think you did throw it everywhere. I think you sent your resume to anybody that had anything associated with pro at any level. And you've kind of already touched on that. How hard was that process, Ben Pierman? And what do you remember about finally getting the call from Memphis 901 FC to start the process of becoming the assistant coach to Coach McQueen? You kind of reflect and look back on it. You know, I never played professional soccer. I was a bang average to above average college soccer player on some really good teams. So my opportunities were a little bit limited. It's probably just like anything else in life. It's who you know or who you call, you know, Tim Howard is, is my sporting director here. He's my boss at, at, at Memphis 901 FC. And he actually, you know, the assistant coaching job here had fallen through with somebody else. He asked his goalkeeper coach while he was still playing at Colorado Rapids, who called uh, another Big Ten coach you probably have on here every now and then, Greg Dalby. And Dalby said, hey, you should look at this guy. And Dalby's one of my best buddies. And um, it went from there. And that that's how it kind of worked. But, you know, I, I had had conversations with some MLS clubs about some youth stuff had some conversations with other USL championship clubs, interviewed for the local USL League One team who was at the time, Lansing Ignite. So I kind of knew something was happening, whether that was with Detroit or Lansing or Memphis or another club. Um, but now looking back on it, it's how much, you know, in the professional game, it's driven through agents, it's driven through the directors and people who want their own, own, own people that they know and trust involved. But really it's kind of one of those things where if you get a chance, you just have to take it. I was the assistant coach. Unfortunately, there was a change and maybe it was fortunate for me. And, you know, it was after this crazy COVID year and I got an opportunity and you just have to take it. You never know when it's going to happen. You know, I do think sometimes that 
coaches, just like players can be missed. But I also think that we, you know, we can't complain about our situations when, when, when we're given an opportunity, we have to go and do everything to earn it. We can't complain about certain things we might have or don't have or COVID this or um, budgets that there's all these barriers that can get in the way. Um, you just got to remove those barriers, get your team focused and, and go out and work your tail off for, for the club that you represent and the journey to go from college in Detroit city to Memphis 901 FC and the professional full-time ranks is tough. I know there's a lot of coaches in the college game who maybe say, yeah, yeah, I want to do that. I want to do that, but it's tough. It's tough. Every, every loss, you know, you go to bed, you might not be sleeping for a while, you know, things, things weigh on you a little bit more. I watched an interview with, with uh, an MLS coach, you know, he coaches top team. He's their first place right now. They've been winning trophies left and right. And he said, I'm five games away from getting fired at all times. You know, it's just different. Every club's different. There's support, there's conversations, but it's different. You know, it is a results oriented business. And I wanted that. I told my wife, I said, look, we're going to suffer. I'll probably get fired a couple of times. You know, we can either figure out if this is for us or not. But, you know, to be honest, it was something that if if, if you're afraid, you 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 got to be driven. You got to put have the courage to put those things aside and go for it. And like I said, a lot of this relates back to my father, who's who's helped educate me and given me that infrastructure, both as a human being and as a football coach. And then Coach Baum, Coach Renzing, the people that I've been able to play with, all these things. Candidly, even people like yourself, like it makes you grow up doing conversations as a 23, 24-year-old coach, whether it's with media or scouting reports, all these things, you got to really be accountable and tuned in at all times. So I wouldn't be where I am today without Michigan State, without Damon, without Joe, without a lot of those players that I was able to play with. And like I mentioned, people like yourselves who really have supported from day one. One of the things that I like about you that uh, is maybe a little different than me is that when you knew that Tim Howard was going to essentially be your boss and Tim Howard was finally going to hang up the, and he really didn't hang him up. He, he actually was on the field for a few of the games, but I remember you saying, essentially Tim puts his pants on the same way I do. And I feel like you approach that interaction. I mean, he's an icon, right? I mean, you know that, but I felt like right from the get go, you knew that you had to treat him like anybody else. Talk a little bit about that experience. Yeah. Well, to be candid with you, he's, he's made it easy. We talk about respect earlier. He, He's an icon. He's a legend. He's he's been around every single human being. You know, one day we're in a preseason match and his phone rings. He says, hey, Moisey, how's it going? Like he's he's big time, but he treats every single person with respect, whether it was myself as the assistant transitioning to the head coach, whether it was the the janitor in the stadium, whether it was the grounds crew man, whether it was the lady taking our tickets in the airport. He just treat. he's very kind, kind humble person and he treats people with respect and he's enabled me and empowered me to to manage this football club and when we chat he has great expertise he's he, and he, he's not overbearing he's not saying it's got to be this or I saw that or hey he even will take notes every now and then when I say something or he's a pleasure to work for obviously I think in terms of he's a Memphian he raises his kids here his family's here so he bleeds that as well it's you know Michigan State's not the only club in the world that want to to push the community and the family. Memphis is an awesome community. Our area down here is incredible. We have honest workers. We have um, people who love their athletics, love their sports. Our venues downtown, I've lived downtown. I've really been able to 
um, become a Memphian myself and in, in, in being able to share that with with Director Howard and you know the people around this club has been amazing. But I also enjoy his stories. I enjoy his experiences. You know, I could sit there for days on end and listen to his stories and some of the things he's he said, you know, whether it's about like Roy Keane or the national team or even social things, just people that he's met and his experience he's had because you know, he's a very clever, very smart human being. And I just try to absorb as much as possible from him. One of the stories that he'll have that you're a part of a couple years ago, and you already said that you told your wife, you know, hey, I'm going to try this and coaches do get fired. Maybe we'll get fired a couple of times. And, you know, as you know, Memphis was struggling and the man who brought you in as the head coach, Tim McQueen, Tim Howard and the ownership group decided that they needed to make a change. You didn't have that many games remaining when they came to you and said, hey, I want you to see this season through. What kind of promises did they make to you? What did they say to you about those remaining games? There was four matches left. Um, We ended up only playing three because of the COVID. We had been eliminated from the playoffs. They decided to make the transition, which is very common in professional football. And they said, look, you've got got a four-match tryout. We're going to go out and get the best coach we, we can possibly find. But... You know, they said, here's your interview. Here's your chance. We lost our first match. We, we, we didn't get smashed, but on the scoreline, we lost 4-1 at Louisville. Played a great game down 2-1. They, they, they scored two in the 90th plus um, when we were going for it. But then the next two matches we won, we were, we were a little bit better organized, a little bit. We only ended up having 15 guys for the last two matches. We were very singularly focused. Um, and I think they, they saw that. And then, you know, with the post not even post, but that that post first year of the pandemic, there was so much uncertainty, budgets, you know, when when's the league going to kick off? You know, how's this going to work? It was it was a crazy offseason. There was more uncertainty for, for me and my family and for the club and for the league and really soccer in North America in general. You know, we just got through it and they, they made that transition to full time. But, you know, I, I specifically asked when when I met with the president and I met with director Howard, I said, look, I get it. I understand. You know, I'm probably on the outside looking in. I've got a job to do, which is to to be the caretaker manager of this this team. And I'm going to do the best I can possibly do. I'm going to do it my way. I said, is there any specific instructions? You know, do you want me to play younger guys? Do you want me to play a certain system? Do you want me to go for results? And they said, and Tim looked at me and said, look, do the best you can. We want to win as many of these last remaining games as possible. How you do it, we don't care. So you know, we, we ended up playing three matches. We had three different tactical approaches and, you know, we won two of them and had, had a great end of the season. We beat a rival at home, massive support from the, the supporters. And I think that carried into our 2021 season last year, pushing ourselves into the playoffs. We'll learn more about that playoff run and how they did it on a smaller budget as well. And then we'll also ask Ben Pierman as we close out our time with him on this week's Breaking the Line, the ECNL podcast about the importance of youth soccer today in the United States. It's Breaking the Line, the ECNL podcast with Ben Pierman, the top man at Memphis 901 FC of USL Championship. Soccer.com is proud to partner with the ECNL to support the continued development of soccer in the U.S. at the highest levels. We've been delivering quality soccer equipment and apparel to players, fans, and coaches since 1984. Living and breathing the beautiful game ourselves, our goal at Soccer.com is to inspire you to play better, cheer louder, and have more fun. Visit Soccer.com today to check out our unmatched selection of gear, expert advice, and stories of greatness at every level of the game. 
ECNL Boys is partnering with Puma for the second year, driving sport forward with the leading products and the next generation of pros who wear them. Puma has proven themselves as the fastest sports brand in the world, the fastest innovation, the fastest players, and the fastest products in the game. They're the perfect partner to complement the speed and talent of our teams. In keeping with their mantra of forever faster, Puma introduces the world's fastest boot, the Ultra. The only boot engineered for speed, the Ultra combines a woven upper with a lightweight outsole for direct forward motion, speed, and acceleration. It's the best in the game, designed for the best players in the game. Welcome back to Breaking the Line, the ECNL podcast. We're going one-on-one with Ben Pierman, the top man for Memphis 901 FC of USL Championship. We just heard the story how he had three games as kind of a tryout for Tim Howard, part of the Memphis 901 FC club and the ownership group. Passed that test, got the job, and I got to tell you, Ben, I don't know how much betting is done on USL Championship, but and I'm not a betting man, but I wish I was because... I would have put money down on Memphis and I would have made money because you made the playoffs. And I know it wasn't easy. I know you don't have a big budget. You don't necessarily have to talk about that because, you know, you do what you got to do. But that was huge for Memphis to make the playoffs. Talk about the season and what it meant to get in. Like we mentioned, there was just so much uncertainty coming off of the, the the pandemic year in 2020. We got a real late start to things. We 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 started putting a roster together in March. I didn't even get the job technically until April 8th. I remember Louisville and half a dozen teams started preseason February 1st. So we were behind the eight ball from the first day. We had to full go, um, put a roster together, like you mentioned, on a shoestring budget. But but it was, it was all about those players. It was all about the synergy of what we could do together. A lot of people from the outside don't, don't quite know um, what those players daily suffering and maybe some of the lack of resources, but they just put it on the line every single day, got better and better and better. And we, we, we played our first match the fifth weekend of the season. So we were five or six matches behind everybody else in the league. So we played catch up for about five, six months. And then once we finally hit that marker where we passed some teams and got across that playoff line, we played our best football. They just got better and better. They put all the noise and the barriers behind them. And we had a great year. For us, that was that was so important, as you mentioned, for, for this community, for the club, for, for everybody involved, especially the, the young footballers in this area and in this community. Um, you know, we wanted to reward them and our supporters and, and push with them. You know, it was such a great season. And you know, we're three, three, three matches into it this year, and hopefully we can keep pushing on and get a little bit better and get back into the playoffs. Tell us about your team this year, Ben. How did you go about putting it together? Yeah, we wanted to return as many players as possible. Um, so we had six returning players. You know, we lost a couple big ones. Some guys, uh, you know, moved on to different leagues or clubs. We pushed on with a little bit of consistency, and then we wanted to replicate some of the things we did well this season Kind of historically, our league, the USL Championship, ratified and executed a collective bargaining agreement. So now there's league minimums, now there's standards. So our budget has gone up to kind of hit those standards. And, um, you know, while while we're not necessarily one of the higher end budgets of resources and, and wages in the league, we've really improved um, from an infrastructure standpoint and collectively just pushing on both on and off the field. So we've got a good group of guys. We've had crazy amount of injuries and visa issues so we haven't been able to train fully yet this season and 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 hopefully now that we've got the group in and a little bit fitter and a little bit healthier we can push on and and get a little bit better and keep developing ben pierman as you look down the road with that crystal ball do you have any idea where you want to be in 10 years from now 
oh, I just hope I'm still alive and ticking. But, uh, you know, I think my my wife and I, we love Memphis. We love coaching at this at this level. We love the the kind of intensity and the accountability. You know, I think like anybody else in the world, right, they, if you do something, you want to be the very best at it. You know, if you're a lawyer, you want to be the best. If you're a footballer, you want to play for Man United or Real Madrid. If you're an NBA player, you want to win the MVP award. You know, similar for my, myself, I want to be the best soccer coach in the world. You know, I'd love to to be able to keep pushing on, but there's the balance of of doing things the right way and enjoying what we have and also looking, like you said, maybe into that future via the crystal ball. You know, I think if we keep doing things the right way and keep keep coaching our tails off, you know, everything else will just take care of itself. And, you know, I think like we mentioned earlier, if we're if we're living a good life and we're, we're treating people well and we're doing things the right way, then we can do a lot of enjoyable things in this sport. And whatever my role is, I give it as much as I can. I give 100%. I'm focused. I try to work my tail off and I just try to get better. And wherever I am, I, I enjoy being there. We've loved our experience in Memphis and hopefully can continue to win here. We won our first trophy over the weekend, so we want to keep winning some more. I love that. And that's a perfect segue to the ECNL. As you know, this is the ECNL podcast called Breaking the Line. And in your final years, you guys were obviously starting to recruit ECNL players. You all know about what happened with the academy program with U.S. soccer. So they needed great leagues to step up. And the ECNL has stepped up on both the boys and the girls. And where you sit today, Ben Pierman, you have to know better than anybody, particularly being a longtime college coach and now coaching in the pros, the importance of having great youth soccer programs, great youth soccer tournaments where these kids can be seen, both boys and girls. And I think now more than ever, it's important that youth soccer is steady as it we continue to build for the future. Yes, 100%. I think when we were at Michigan State, our recruitment model was we want to get the best players from the state of Michigan. ECNL, local leagues. We had a player named Dewan Jones who played for a team called TNT Dynamite. He was one of the best players in the entire country. and he, he goes under the radar. And you see that all the time. There are so many good players, good, good young players in this country right now. And you mentioned that the ECNL is just really thriving and taking off and especially in the boys part of the game. And and that's what we need. We need our young, our young players every single weekend. I call it sparring. You know, they they need to they need to have that combative nature every weekend, playing against top players, playing against diverse and eclectic audiences. And I think I think that's what we need to continue to do in this country is put our young youth players in environments where they're forced to suffer. They they need to they need to learn to play under pressure. They need to learn their hands can't be held all the time. They have to solve problems. They need to learn to be very, very good on the ball. If we can manipulate the ball at a young age, you know, a lot of the other things will take care of itself. And I think part of that is the athleticism and people growing up and physically getting stronger, but we need their minds and their 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 footwork, their their ability on the ball to really push on and get better. You know, here, here in Memphis, we have four players signed to academy contracts. I've already played two this season. We've got one young player who's a top, top little player. and He's going to be good. You know, he's got a lot of colleges looking after him. He's, he's played for the local team here in Memphis. And I know the ECNL is, is trying to get here into our Memphis market. We've got a lot of young, good, good players. We got to keep pushing them on, getting them better, getting them into pro environments, making them suffer as much as possible so they can get better, challenge themselves. I call it iron sharpens iron, just constantly getting better and really, really pushing on. And the ECNL has been such a big part of that. That is a great way to close it out as the ECNL certainly putting the spotlight on the great young players. And I wanted to put the spotlight on you, a story 
story that I don't think enough people have heard, the rise of Ben Pierman as a player, as a longtime assistant coach at Michigan State, spending time with the Detroit pro team that, as you mentioned, is now USL. And after a great season a year ago where many people felt like you could have been the USL championship coach of the year for what you're doing, you're back again to lead Memphis, not a one FC. Good luck this season in USL championship. We'll continue to follow your progress. Ben Pierman, Great to have you on Breaking the Line, the ECNL podcast. Thanks, Dean. Appreciate it. I love stories like Ben Pierman's, a young man who has gone about things the right way with respect and integrity. I want to thank all the great folks at the ECNL, including their CEO, Christian Lavers, their girls commissioner and COO, Jen Winnego, their boys commissioner, Jason Cutney, Doug Bracken, Andrea Wheeler, Jacob Bourne, the whole gang, as well as our producer, Colin Thrash. For each and every one of them and all of you, I'm Dean Linke. We'll see you in two weeks for another edition of Breaking the Line, the ECNL podcast. Thanks for listening to Breaking the Line, the ECNL podcast. For more information on the ECNL, visit us at www.vecnl.com. And if you have a suggestion for the show or a great idea for a guest, please email us at info at Breaking the Line, the ECNL podcast is an ECNL production. ECNL, more than a league.